Thanks for downloading Scott Harold's podcast. If you use a smart speaker, you can always ask Alexa to enable the SOS radio skill. We all remember exactly where we were on September 11, 2001, and obviously we're remembering that this week with the 20th anniversary. I'm Scott on SWS Radio. We're actually talking with Edward Grin, and he's the editor-in-chief of Guidepost Magazine, the VP of Strategic Content Development, joining us today on SWS Radio. How are you, Edward? Good. It's great to be with you, even on this solemn occasion. I know. It's wild. Where you think about where we all were. I mean, September 11th, you're located in Manhattan. I mean, when you hear about the Twin Towers and you hear about the first plane, you hear about the second plane. I mean, this hits home for you specifically because you were right there just miles away. Yes, we were not far away. I mean, we could virtually see the Twin Towers from our office windows on East 34th Street. You know, there's so much I remember about that day, if only fragmentarily. But, you know, I had hired that summer an editorial assistant who sat directly outside my office. And in the interview process that summer, her name was Tina. She mentioned to me that she was a member of the New York City Emergency Response Team. And as a, she was a volunteer at the Central Park EMTs. And I said, well, what does that mean? And she said, well, you know, if there were a citywide emergency, a really big emergency, I would have to leave immediately and go to my ambulance and be ready to help. And I said, well, you know, what do you mean by a a big citywide emergency? Because we have lots of emergencies in New York, believe me. (laughs) You hear the sirens going off every five minutes. She said, oh, it would have to be something like that. And I said, do you mean something like the World Trade Center bombing a few years ago? And she said, yeah, it would have to be something as big as that. And we both kind of chuckled as if that were an unlikely possibility. You know, you flash forward a few months to September 11th. And it's about 8.30 in the morning. And Tina kept a shortwave radio receiver with her at all times because of her role. And that went off, and she just came into the doorway in my office and stared at me, almost in shock. And she said, I got to go. And that was the last we saw of her for a couple of weeks. She originally was meant to be there to receive, you know, injured victims from the towers. And as we know, there were, were not very many. Um, so she stayed down there to attend to all of the people, all the, the rescue workers you know, who were working on the pile in the weeks that would follow. And I'll never forget that moment when she stood in my doorway and said, I have to go, because then I knew you know, how serious this was. I just imagine the two of you looking out the window and just going, wow, what, right. what, what yeah. is Tina walking and into? It, it just, you know what I remember most about September 11th, and, and people might find this strange, I remember... September 10th. September 10th, you know, it was another flawless late summer day in New York City, very much like the twin day that would follow it. It was just a normal day. I I took one of our employees to lunch for her birthday. We went up to the Oyster Bar at Grand Central Station. We were going to have crab cakes, and they had run out of crab cakes, and, you know, we kind of made a big deal about the fact that we were going to get weren't going to get the crab cakes, and I went back to the office after lunch, and, you know, I did some work. You know, I made a plane reservation for a business trip the following week. It was utterly routine. I didn't think about security or taking my shoes off or anything like that. Went home that night. You know, I called my wife. She was up. We have this little cabin in the Berkshires where I'm talking to you from now. She was up in, at this cabin with our two dogs, and we had a little chat, and everything was just had been such a peaceful, beautiful day. 
you know, I turned the Yankee game on for a little while and went to bed. And when I went to bed that night, I had no idea what the next day held. I had no sense. The day had been so normal and so perfect and so lovely. The specter of, of a terrorist attack on our country, and particularly in Manhattan at the Twin Towers, was just, it was inconceivable. I didn't know that life was going to change in about less than 12 hours. Life would, and it would never be the same again. You know, it took me a while to process that kind of shock. I always remember September 10th as sort of the dividing line between two eras. But I think what I'd learned is from a spiritual perspective is the one thing, you know, we cannot know the future. I did not know the future when I went to bed on September 10th. The only thing I knew about the future that was that God would be there. You know, that is the one certain piece of information I have about the future. And indeed, he was there on September 11th. And I don't ask why the planes weren't turned back, but I do know that it was God who was present there and at the Pentagon in Western Pennsylvania to give comfort and strength and support and reassurance. And that is what the lesson I take away from September 11th is really the lesson of September 10th, that the one thing I can be sure of is God's presence in whatever happens. So much has happened between 2001 and 2021, and we're remembering September 11th this week, and it's been 20 years. And we're talking with Edward Grinnan, and he's the editor-in-chief of Guidepost Magazine. And Back in 2001, I mean, we don't think about the 20 years that have gone, but technology was nowhere near where it is today, Edward. I mean, social media was pretty much non-existent. MySpace was still like two years from even arriving on the scenes, which Wikipedia was just created around that time. The first iPhone wasn't created till like 2007. So in this age of the instant news feed that we have today, it's so different than when we heard about the Twin Towers and the first plane and the second plane and then the Pentagon and then the plane in Pennsylvania. And Edward, working at a publication such as yours like Guidepost, it's so wild to think about the way that you gathered news and heard about the story then versus how you're doing all of that now. Right. It's amazing. What we did on the morning of September 11th, we turned on the radio. I mean, a regular plugged-in transistor radio to get information. And then we went down the conference room eventually and turned on the television. But you're right, Scott. That's just, it's amazing that we sort of, our main source of information was looking out the window of the offices and seeing the smoke rising from downtown. We didn't have that access to incident of information. We certainly didn't have people, you know, tweeting about it, you know, and it, it would have been so much different today, I'm sure, in how information was gathered. I remember even the cell phones for the people who had them, you know, didn't work. The cell towers, the power went down. This is another moment I remember. My phone rang. Uh, on my desk, my landline phone, <laughs> old school phone. And, you know, I picked it up. I thought it might be Julie up here, my wife in the, in the mountains, or it might be my sister back in Michigan wanting to know what was going on. And it was a woman, you know, in Kansas. And she just had picked up the phone and called Guidepost, and she said, I'm, I'm seeing what's happening on television today, and I just want to know that everybody at Guidepost is all right. And that meant so much to us to have that kind of concern. I'm not sure other media outlets got those sorts of phone calls, but that was that gave me great a great sense of strength and reassurance. That, and she said, you know, we'll be praying for you. And I knew then that people were praying not just for guideposts, but, the, but the, for all 
New York and the country. You know, I, I remember after a while, you know, not knowing what really what happened and just getting these sketchy reports on radio and television. You know, I went down, we were on the 16th floor, I took the elevator down to the lobby of our building and went out onto Madison Avenue. And that's when I began to see the people streaming up from downtown. And it was, you know, they shoot a lot of movies in New York. It was like looking at something from a movie. These people were covered in ash and they looked shocked and nonplussed. And you could tell that they were trying to, you know, to begin, just begin to process what they had just been through. And there were this little deli owners out there handing out bottles of water and uh, paper towels to help people wipe uh, themselves down, wipe the ash off of them. It's a sight I will never forget, uh, standing there watching these people just come up from downtown and this incredible disaster covered in ash and trying to help one another and the, and the city already reaching out to help them. And then the sounds of sirens, of, of sirens everywhere as all of the emergency services, cops, firefighters, EMTs, everyone, you know, including my assistant Tina, rushing down while others were trying to flee that, that terrible disaster. There were hundreds, if not thousands, of New York workers rushing to the scene to help. And some of them, when I think about it now, some of them were going to lose their lives. Some of those people in those vehicles with their sirens blaring were going to lose their lives because they were going to go down and be in those towers when they collapsed. You know, it's a haunting memory. We're talking about the stories of the helpers today at SWS Radios. Remember the 20th anniversary of the attacks at the World Trade Center. We're talking with Edward Grinnan, and he's the editor-in-chief of Guidepost Magazine. Actually, was just a few miles away at the Guidepost offices in New York City, which is it's within view of the World Trade Centers. And Edward, it's wild when you think about the helpers, because that's what's so cool about when we see a tragedy that's so terrible, you always see people stepping up in amazing ways. You like to tell those stories at Guidepost. Yes, we love to tell those stories. You know, through the years, we've probably collected the most comprehensive stories on the tragedy of 9-11, both stories from the World Trade Center disaster to the Pentagon and, and also to the plane that crashed in western Pennsylvania. In fact, our upcoming issue of the magazine, the August-September issue, has a wonderful story about a man whose cousin was on that flight and how he became involved in memorializing that site now into a national park. But if you go to guidepost.org slash sept11, S-E-P-T-11, the numeral 11, guidepost.org slash sept11, you'll have access to all of the material that we did on all of the heroes and all of the survivors of the tragedy. I think it's, it'll give you one of the most uplifting portrayals of that day and its aftermath. I mean, there's amazing stories. There's one uh, by a woman named Miss Guzman, who was the last person pulled from the rubble, the last person pulled alive. And she had been trapped for a number of hours. I think it was upward of about 12 hours, and she was crying out, and they had finally located her. And someone named Paul thrust an arm through the debris to hold her hand while the rescuers managed to get her free to move away enough debris. 
And she finally, you know, she was pulled out and taken to the hospital where she had minor injuries. But afterwards, she said, I want to talk to the firefighter named Paul. I want to talk to him because he held my hand and he gave me comfort and reinsurance. And I don't think I would have made it out of the rubble without that hand. And they said there was no one there named Paul. You know, there were a number of firefighters and rescue workers. There was no Paul who reached in to hold your hand. It's amazing how God works in those ways. <laughs> it's one of my favorite stories we've ever told. It. We have a video of Ms. Guzman as well as part of our site. And there's video as well as, as published stories. You know, I would urge everyone, you know, to go to, to check it out because it's just an amazing collection of content about September 11th. It won't make you feel good about what happened, but it will make you feel better because it truly was a tragedy. When we think about the tragedy that's in the news over the last 20 years, we easily forget about September 11th and the attacks at the World Trade Center on that plane in Pennsylvania and at the Pentagon. And We hear the stories afterwards about the helpers, those resilient people that stepped up. And Michael Hinkson was one of the gentlemen that was actually working on the 78th floor of the World Trade Center. Michael's actually blind, and he had his service dog with him, and his resilient dog actually led him down like 1,463 steps to safety. It seems impossible that he even survived the initial impact of the plane. But, you know, his guide dog was just, <laughs> it's, it's difficult to call it a guide dog superhuman, but he was <laughs> superhuman in almost a supernatural way. I mean, that dog knew how to bring his master down to safety. It's just an amazing story. And there's a lot of faith behind it as well. This man was praying on every step of the way, as I'm sure so many people were. One of the things that broke my heart reading about the dogs that were deployed almost immediately on the pile was that they became depressed when they didn't find a victim or a, a survivor. You know, so that was their job, was to find survivors and help rescue them. And the dogs would become anxious when they didn't find anyone, which, as we know, they found very few people. So they would, someone would then sort of hide in the rubble and allow himself to be discovered so the dog would feel more uplifted. It was a put-on for the dogs, but the dogs needed that inspiration to go on. The work was meeting with success. They're such sensitive animals. You know, they have complicated inner emotional lives that we sometimes sell them short of. That's so fascinating, Edward, because when we're thinking about tragedy, when you're pushing through, a lot of times you're just doing the work, right? And you're just kind of grinding and saying, all right, I'll put my task in front of this. But there's that emotional side of it that, that we all have to deal with, and even the dogs have had to deal with it. That's wild. Yeah, it was, it was sort of an amazing side story to it all. I think, you know, you talk about people stepping up, people being heroes and drawing on that inner strength, which I think is a, the inner strength is a God strength. You know, those men and women who rushed to the scene, the thousands of them, so many of whom would give their lives that day, you know, I think they felt they were doing God's work. When I say that, you know, God was present, he was present in, in those, those rescue workers. He was present in their efforts to save as many lives as possible, and also to begin to help heal the country, which, and that healing started virtually immediately as we dealt with the aftermath. I think it's taken us 20 years at least to heal from this. Some people will never heal. I mean, we've certainly heard about the workers who were down there who suffered health consequences from their actions of that day. And, and 
the government is struggling to take care of these people, but the sacrifice that people were willing to make, not just of their lives immediately, but the sacrifice they made for their careers and their lives going forward. Because many of those people who worked on the pile, you know, never worked again. They got sick from what they inhaled, which was toxic. I remember smelling it myself, you know, a couple miles uptown for several days, this acrid smell in the air that made you cough and choke. It was the worst sort of smog. To think of people who were actually down there in the midst of it, searching for survivors for days and days, is the sacrifice people are willing to make when other people's lives are on the line is truly miraculous. It is a human response to tragedy, but it is also a spiritual response to tragedy because so much about who we are spiritually is about sacrifice and the willingness to sacrifice. And that's what I saw that day, September 11th, that willingness to sacrifice for the good and survival of others. We're talking with Edward Grinnan today at SWIS Radio, and he's the editor-in-chief of Guidepost Magazine and the vice president of strategic content development. Thanks for taking some time to share with us today, Edward. Great. I'm very happy to be here. Even under these somber circumstances, the 20th anniversary of the September 11th attacks, you know, on the Pentagon as well as the World Trade Center and and the, the plane that crashed in western Pennsylvania that never made it to its target, probably because of the actions of a group of passengers. The story we have coming up in this upcoming issue of Guidepost, the August and September issue of Guidepost, is from a, from a gentleman, a military officer, as a matter of fact, who had a cousin on that plane. Now, this was, his cousin was not someone he was particularly close to in adulthood. And his cousin worked for the National Park Service. He was an officer. And he had been east attending a conference and was flying back west to California where he was based. And he was wearing, apparently was wearing his National Park Service uniform on the plane. That's Flight 93 that crashed in Pennsylvania. In going through the rubble and debris of the cockpit, the wreckage of the cockpit, they found his badge, his National Park Service badge that he wore as an officer of the Park Service on his uniform. And the story is a kind of rumination on that badge. Our narrator, the the military uh, officer, does not draw any conclusions. He doesn't say that his cousin was one of the ones who stormed the cockpit that day and probably helped bring the plane down before it could reach a target. But he talks about the meaningfulness of all of the heroicism on Flight 93 that day. And, you know, he dedicated his life to helping to memorialize that site. And he's been a big, big mover in turning that into a beautiful national park. It's one of the, the aspects of September 11th that sometimes gets, you know, not overlooked, but it doesn't necessarily, you know, people think of the, the Twin Towers going up in smoke and then collapsing, or even they think of the Pentagon, but sometimes they forget about that flight, that heroic Flight 93, where the passengers apparently stormed the cockpit and brought the plane down. And when you think about sacrifice, what could be more sacrificial than the willingness to do that? You know, we know that the people on Flight 93 knew about the Trade Center and they knew about the Pentagon because they did have cell phones. Enough of them were working that they heard the reports that these planes were being flown into, you know, strategic targets. And for them to to say we have to take an action to prevent this plane from reaching its target is 
the ultimate sacrifice. Think about how heroic how that decision had to be made. So it's almost, it almost boggles the mind, and it sort of begs the question, how would you react in that situation? You know, how would you behave? I ask myself that question a lot. It's one of those situations where you think, am I going to fight or am I going to flight or what am I going to do? I think if you know God's will, you will do the right thing. And I think that's what motivated a lot of the heroes of September 11th. Well, thanks for your time today, Edward. You are a master storyteller. Appreciate you. Well, thank you. Remember, they can see a, a huge, wonderful collection of these stories at guidepost.org slash SEPT11, the number 11. Or you can go to uh, guidepost.org to find out more about Guidepost Magazine and our many publications, which are full of inspiring and uplifting stories of hope. You're clear to go. Thanks for downloading the SOS Radio podcast. If you enjoy the discussion, give it a five-star rating in your app store. The way the technology works, your ratings really help spread the word.